0: Well, that was some great singing. Thank you very much. We didn't even have purple lights and all the fancy things you sometimes get uh, today. But wow, that was tremendous singing. Thank you so much for that. I love that last song, Psalm 62, a song we're going to be singing a few times over the next few weeks. Thank you for singing, Our Souls Will Wait for Our Solid Rock and Our Salvation. We, of course, know our solid rock and our salvation will come forth from heaven at any moment. In the twinkling of an eye, we will see Christ, and we will experience him forevermore. So thank you for singing that song. Let's trust in him uh, today. I invite you to turn to Romans 5, Romans chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 11 this morning. It's my privilege to be able to Preach through this book. It's been daunting, intimidating, uh, but uh, it's been growing for me. It's been stretching. I've learned a lot about the Lord. I continue to as I consider these words with you from the Apostle Paul. As we come to the middle of Romans 5, we come to verses 6 through 11, which are often overlooked as someone preaches or teaches through Romans 5. As a matter of fact, I was looking up sermons of Romans 5 this week and you can find a lot on Romans five one and two about the peace and the the grace that we have in Christ. You can you can read a lot, you can find a lot of about Romans five twelve through twenty one, which describes uh our identity in Christ as believers and compares Christ to Adam. And uh, we'll have the privilege to look at that in the future. But you don't really find a lot uh about Romans five six through eleven. And yet I think these verses are very important for us. As we come to them, I think we come to the final object of our boasting or exaltation. The past few weeks we've observed Paul's outline. I think it's his outline for Romans 5, 1 through 11. It's centered around the word uh, boast or rejoice being uh, repeated three times. Paul's got a three-point Outline in Romans 5, 1 through 11. First, we learned uh, several weeks ago that because we have peace and grace in Jesus Christ, we hope, number one, in the glory of God. We rejoice or boast in the glory of God. That is, we exult in the fact that we will one day experience God's glory in our future. Not that we aren't experiencing glory of God, not that the earth isn't filled with God's glory, but one day we will all enjoy, if you know Christ as your Savior, you will enjoy the glory of God. It's like the little boy that has been given enough from his parents, many good gifts from his parents in the past, that he knows that Christmas won't disappoint him We've been given so many good things from God, and we know our future will be even better. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, secondly, Paul says we also rejoice in sufferings. You remember this from last week? We rejoice in sufferings or tribulations, and we do so not because we're gluttons for punishment, not because we're masochists who love pain, we glory in sufferings because we know they institute a sequence. That God uses suffering in our life as believers to produce endurance, and that endurance produces tested character, and tested character produces hope that will not disappoint us. It won't disappoint. And so finally today, we'll see that we should boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at Romans 5.11, that's where this passage is headed. We boast in God through Jesus. So that's the title of my sermon. I have terrible sermon titles. We boast in God through Jesus. Now, Paul described the Jewish person's falsely based boasting... In Romans 2, verse 17, I don't know if you remember this. I'm going to remind you now. Romans 2, verse 17, he says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, here are the same words, boast in God, know his will and approve what is excellent. The Jewish people boasted in God, because they uh, because God chose them as his people, he marked them out through a special sign called circumcision, and he gave them his law now formerly we called these things uh, we, we called these things uh, marks of Jewish pride and so what Paul does is Romans two and three is like he's popping he's pricking the balloons of Jewish pride. They boasted in Moses. They boasted in circumcision. Those were demonstrations of God's goodness and grace to them, but they felt that it was not only means of God's grace to them, it would be means by which they would be saved or delivered. Okay, but you notice in the drawing I've got the The line's going one way. This is God's grace to them, not their way to get to God. Now, in our passage, however, Paul imagines New Covenant believers exalting in God properly. He uses the same words. We boast in God too. We do so, however, on an entirely different basis. We do so through our Lord Jesus Christ. And men and women, Jesus is not only the demonstration of God's love for us, Jesus gets us to God. Jesus makes us right with God. That is, God justifies and reconciles and saves us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so this morning we sang already, how can I keep from singing your praise? And then we sang, how can we keep from shouting your name? And it's my unashamed goal this morning in this sermon to ask God to make everyone in this room sing praise to God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. To be willing to shout Jesus' name as the reason for our confidence and boast. So this morning, uh, in the text, we're going to consider two reasons for believers to boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I think these two reasons are given in verses 6 through 11. If I were to summarize them, I think reason 1 is verses 6 through 8. Reason two is verses 9 through 11. So two-point outline, there is a bulletin handout. You can pull that out if you want to take notes that way. Uh, Otherwise, just follow closely, and we'll try to highlight those two reasons. First, we boast in God because Jesus' death shows his great love for us. In in other words, we boast in God. And if I were to do it again in your outline, I'd I'd change it. You know, an hour ago I figured it out, but those were already in your bulletin, so I didn't want you know you to see me like scrambling around stealing bulletins. And I would say it this way: We boast in God because He loves us, because He loves us, and of course that love comes through the cross. Look at verses six through eight. For while we were still weak at the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now the first word of verse 6, the word 4, actually reveals that what follows is Paul's further explanation for how God poured out his lavish love on our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Remember last week we talked about this before we partook in the uh, Lord's table. We can be confident uh, in our great and glorious Christian hope because God has already given us so much through the sacrifice of his only Son. More specifically, Paul poured God poured out his lavish love on us at the cross. That's the historical fact that makes us know that he loves us. You see, the cross is where God's love was poured out for us. And so in verses six through eight, the main subject of these verses then becomes Christ's timely and sacrificial death for us. The way Paul articulates this, I think, can be seen if we consider how Paul describes three different people in this passage, verses 6 to 8. So that's what I want to look at with you just very briefly. Hopefully you've seen these in the text. He uh, considers in verse 7 uh, a righteous person, and he considers someone dying for a righteous person. Now, a righteous person is someone who is right with God. Someone who is upright, you might say. This kind of person only exists in a fallen world like ours because God's initiative and in grace through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. So Paul first considers what, whether one would die to help or die in place of a righteous person, an upright person. And his conclusion is that one would scarcely die for that kind of upright person. The instinct for self-preservation might be overcome for such a person like that. Someone who's upright. He then goes to a second type of person. It's a good person. A good person in the middle of verse 7 as well. Near the end, even, of verse 7. He considers dying for a good person. Now, when he talks about a good person, this might be a synonymous way for Paul to describe the same person. He might be talking about a righteous person who's also good, or he could be describing a different kind of person here. This good person, this kind of person, is not someone who's clinically or coldly righteous, but someone we know to be good. Paul suggests then that these people have been good to us. It's a person whose goodness we know, and his conclusion about them is a good person might have an even better chance at survival if it required us dying in their place. This good person, some people believe, would be a patron or benefactor who uh, delivered the Romans... Delivered certain of them in the past. He, he purchased them and helped them and, and provided for them. And so it's not just this, you know, clinically upright person who, yeah, sure, that's the sort of person maybe we should die for. But now it's someone we know is good. He's been good to us. And that person, maybe, just maybe someone would be willing to die. But the main subject of these verses, Um, is not necessarily to describe that. Around that and framing that is a contrast with the condition of fallen sinners when Jesus died for them. Now, if you're looking in the text, Paul actually uses three words to describe them, I mean us, when we were sinners. He says, when we were still weak, first way describes us at the time of Christ's death as we were still weak. This is the opposite of God, who often in Scripture is described as being powerful. The word weak here, though, is the, 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 the word that the Bible often uses to speak of both physical and or spiritual weaknesses and diseases and limitations and powerlessness. Okay, so Jesus died for us while we were still very physically and spiritually weak. Second description of us is we were the ungodly. Jesus died for us when he died for the ungodly. Again, this is the opposite of God. God is powerful. We are weak. God is God. We were ungodly. Very much not like Him. We were everything that He is not. And with these first two descriptions of the fallen condition of man, I think he's emphasizing the huge chasm. God. Power. God. God. Us. Weak. Us. Ungodly. Then he describes us again. He says, we were still sinners. Finally, Christ died for us while we were still sinners. This word speaks again of falling short of God and his glory. And I think using these three words paints a dark picture, especially when you compare them to the good and the righteous person that one might dare to die for. Here Paul emphasizes That there's nothing lovely or attractive in us to prompt God to give his son or to prompt the son to give his life. And so as such unlovely and unattractive people, we should boast in God because he poured out his love for us on the cross. So that's why you should be willing to sing when we gather together and worship. I know some of you, you you feel like you don't have a good voice. I get it. I don't either. Okay? That's why we should be willing to sing. We should boast in God no matter how it sounds. We should boast in God because he poured out his love for us on the cross. He gave his only son on the cross. So sing. Or as we sang earlier, sh- so shout. Right now, don't, maybe not here. <laughs> shout, how can I keep from shouting his name? Some of you sang that today. Many of you sang that today. Is that your attitude about boasting in God? As you go throughout the week, and around others, are you asking yourself, man, how, I don't know how I made it through today. Man, I really felt compelled to shout, God, Christ. I think these are good questions to ask ourselves and to make sure we're not hypocritical. Paul gives us a good reason to boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's first, because he loves us. Because he loves us. But back to the text. The second reason we boast in God is because we are not only justified and reconciled through Jesus, we also will be saved by Him. And this is again where the, you know, the, uh, early morning uh, way of saying, because He, He will save us. It's just a simpler, Outline it would have been better, but anyway, next time, 17 years from now, when I preach Romans again here, two reasons why you should boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. number one, because He loves us, and number two, because He will save us. He will save us. I think that's the point of this passage. this is where it's going. And so uh, the way uh, verses nine through 11 are uh, unfold involve uh, kind of two arguments and a summary, but let's look at them. Let's look at verses 9 through 11 and read through them together. I'll read it out loud. Verse 9, "...since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God... By the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice or boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Okay so the way this this these three verses unfold it's it's like this Paul has two greater to lesser arguments in verses 9 and 10 He goes from justification to salvation then he goes from reconciliation to salvation to emphasize salvation And then he gives a final summary in verse 11 which makes Paul's second reason for believers to exalt in God through Jesus even more clear. I think the best way to begin studying verses 9 through 11 is to consider the salvation words that Paul uses in this passage. Okay, so there's a place in your notes where you can write down the words and we'll briefly describe them, and then we'll talk about what Paul does with those words, okay? Okay. The first word mentioned here is justified. The verb justified in verse 9 portrays a concept we've considered several times already in Romans. Human beings stand in the right or are made right with God only if they believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ to be saved. Romans 1, 16 made that very clear. Human beings are made right with God only if they will believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are not upright or righteous on their own. They can only be righteous, justified, through God's saving righteousness, which is found in Jesus. This makes God both just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. He's the one who make people justified. And so what we've seen in Romans so far is we have righteousness that comes from God through Jesus Christ. And But then in uh, Romans 5 and verse 9, I think he reminds us that God has done this for us by or through Jesus' blood. Okay, so not to go over that quickly. The point here is His shed blood, Jesus' shed blood, is not only the cost of us being made right with God, it's the instrument of our being made right with God. That's what justification took. Nothing less would satisfy. The only way someone is made right with God is through the blood of Jesus Christ that's the word justified now the word reconciled verse 10 a new word for us in romans and a word that paul doesn't use very often here second corinthians 5 some of the main places he uses this at the beginning of verse 10 paul describes another salvation blessing salvation word that believers have in jesus He describes the word blessing or the word reconciled twice in verse 10, and then he uses a noun form of it in verse 11. He's talking here about a very important salvation word. Now, he says we've been reconciled when we were enemies. Paul's description of us as enemies I think helps us understand a little bit more what the term reconciled means. This word reconciled was also used uh, or often used in descriptions of disharmony in interpersonal relationships. So if you think of the word reconciled, you should think of relationships and disharmony. Okay, one of the times this, this rare word is used is in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 11, when it talks about a wife who divorces her husband. See, there's a relationship he's talking about, a wife and a husband. And and it gives her a few options. And one is, she could be reconciled. And so, this word means to be brought back together with someone. To be brought back together with someone. It's a relationship word. There's... Disharmony. The relationship is broken. What they need is to be reconciled. A peace to be reestablished through Christ. And so, through Jesus' death on the cross, believers have been brought back together with God. God takes the initiative for reconciliation, and it's entirely through His provision in Jesus. That we are now friends with God instead of being hostile toward Him as enemies. I mean, we sang this this morning. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. an amazing thing. An amazing thing. Once I was the enemy of God. But through the cross, I've been reconciled, so now I'm friend with God. Friend with God. Now, one other word is used here. Salvation word is used, and it's used twice. At the end of verse nine, at the end of verse ten, it's the word "saved." Now, this word is different than the other two in one important way. Okay, it's 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 the same in that it's passive. Uh, All three of these are passive, meaning this is something God does for believers. But the way it's different is the word saved in this text is future. Future, will be saved, versus you have been justified, made right with God. You have been reconciled. Then he says, you will be saved. Now, the Scriptures do speak of salvation as something that can be passed. We can say, I think rightly so, and there's some controversy about this, but I think we can say we are saved, or we have been saved. Yet this passage highlights something different. This passage highlights the future aspect of salvation. In the future, God will save or will deliver us from what? Looking at verse 9. He will save or deliver us from His wrath. So this text demonstrates the blood of Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross is where God's wrath against all of our sins was completely satisfied. Justice. Justice was achieved at the cross so that God can show us the grace of delivering us completely one day from the consequences of our sin and the wrath of God. I want to say a few more things about these three words that we've looked at here today. Um, there's, there's really two more things. So if you're taking notes, two, important emphasis I want to make before we're done. Okay. First, what I want to say about these is Paul argues with these three words in this way. He argues that since God has already justified and reconciled us, we can be sure that he will save us. That's the way both of the arguments go. The emphasis, again, is on saving. We can see this idea in the logic of verses 9 and 10, repeated twice, is the mention of saving at the end of both verses. Paul wants us to consider here that God, this is going to sound maybe even a little bit controversial, but it's not, that God has done something more than making us right with him. God has done something more than just establishing peace between us and him gone beyond that and he will Uh, he has secured our deliverance from all of his holy and hot wrath against our sin this is future salvation i think it forms the main reason for exalting god through jesus christ our lord men and women we will be saved from the wrath of god it's good reason the second large thing I want to say about these three, though, is that these three salvation words, in my opinion, justified, reconciled, saved, all come to us in this passage by or through Jesus. In other words, our union with Jesus is the greater and broader reason why these blessings are ours. Matter of fact, all throughout Romans 5, you have this idea, this teaching of the union with Christ. Because you're looking at verse 1, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You look at verse 2, through whom we also have access into this grace wherein we stand. So how in the world do we have peace? We have a peace through Jesus. How do we have grace? Through Jesus. In our passage, in verse 9, notice all the things we have from Jesus. Uh, verse 9, since therefore we've now been justified. How? By his blood. Through him. Much more we'll be saved. How? How are we going to be saved? By him. Who's him? Jesus we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God, how? By the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved, how? By his life, whose? Jesus' life. More than that also, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, through Jesus, we now have received reconciliation. I think the point I would make is all of these saving realities that we have saved, justified, reconciled, are all ours together in Jesus Christ because we're at union with Him. Uh, way of drawing this. I just took a few of my favorite salvation words throughout Paul's letters, and three of them are found in this passage. Saved, justified, reconciled, but boy, there are others you could... words you could use to describe what happens to believers because of their union with Jesus Christ. I think union with Christ is the bigger concept. Because we're in Him, all of these salvation realities are ours. All these blessings come to us as we're united with Jesus through faith. Finally then, in verse 11, as a final summary, Jesus says, more than that. See at the beginning of verse 11? More than that. Of course, you need to ask, what is that? I think it's more than boasting in hope of the glory of God. More than that more than boasting and suffering. More than that. We boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We do so, as the text closes, because now we have fully received the reconciliation through Jesus. We've received the object of God's peacemaking process the object was He wanted us to experience complete well-being and peace with Him. We get this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. As we close, men and women. As I said, this is not a text that you're going to find in the you know, most downloaded sermon texts Across the internet. Yet, we must be people who boast about God. Our boast is God. Think about it, it's not anything else. It's not our pulpit, not our sermons, not our theology, our grasp of theology. We don't boast in our worship, our boast is not in our community that God's established here. We do not boast in our worship or our philosophy. Our boast is God, what He's done. And we can only boast in Him properly through means of Jesus. We can't boast in God because of our works. We can't boast in God because of our performance or our statistics that somehow make us appealing to Him? No, it's only through Jesus that we can boast in God. Through Jesus, God not only loves us, He makes us right with Him. He makes us His friends, offering us peace. And one day soon, He will save us from his wrath. Let's sing about that. You already did this morning, many of you. The rest of you, join along. Join in. Try it. Sing about that. And then for my brothers and sisters, here's what I said. As we go throughout the week, let's shout about that. These other things we boast in, they, they seem really complex, right? We, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Yeah, i got Pastor Brent's notes here. I think I know what all those words mean. We rejoice in sufferings. Well, that's strange. What, what did Pastor Brent say about that? Oh, okay, now I know why we can rejoice. This one's so simple. We boast in God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that's true of us, Colonial. Throughout the course of the week, we, 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 we have to ask the question, how can I stop from shouting His name? May God do that work in our hearts so that we're not singing these songs hypocritically. But we're asking questions that are true of us. Let's pray together and ask God to do that in us. Father, I thank You for our union with Jesus Christ and all of the blessings that are ours through Him. As I pray with some of my brothers and sisters here today, we want to stop and give you praise through this corporate prayer for justifying us, for reconciling us, and for our confidence that one day soon You will deliver us. We offer praise to You for that. For others in the room, perhaps, perhaps, there would be no reason for them to sing. There would be no reason for them to shout praise to God through Christ because They've never believed in the name of Jesus. Pray, Father, in this quiet moment that they would do that. And if you're here today and you do not know Jesus, if you've never believed in Him to be delivered one day from your sin, won't you do that now? Won't you in this moment say, God, I know you sent your Son to die on the cross for my sins. You would say, I believe in Jesus, crucified and risen again for my sin. Won't you believe that today? So that you can be delivered from God's wrath. Dear Father, we thank you for the privilege of Thinking through Romans 5, I pray that you would do a deeper work in our hearts. We can become very traditional, even as Baptists, and we can sing the same songs, we can sit in the same places, we can do the same things, and yet grow cold to boasting in God through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to see that we have but just seconds life left in this world. We have just but a few moments left to boast in you or give us the grace to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.